0: I titled this podcast controversial because it's important for you the listener to know that just because we interview people doesn't always mean that we 100% agree with everything they have to say. I get this question often that a guest will say something on my show and then they'll question me because I've said the opposite of that in the past. Well, the purpose of having guests on is to give different opinions and then you the listener can take all of this information that we give you and dissect it. Now, sometimes it can get confusing out there with a lot of different opinions being thrown at you. But I think if you just listen and figure out what is going to work for you, or maybe you try different things, try different approaches to, in this case, your thyroid optimization, and you find what resonates with you. You find what's going to work for you. So today, my guest is the host of the Thyroid Answers podcast, Dr. Eric And, you know, we don't always see eye to eye on everything. He doesn't have the stance on thyroid hormone replacement that I do. And he takes a totally different approach, but he's going to talk about the cell danger response today. And we're going to dive into his different methods and protocols and outlooks on thyroid hormone optimization. We're going to talk about our differences in how we approach reverse T3 levels being high and how we might approach even free T3 levels being low. And we both have anecdotal evidence of people that we have helped that have achieved success and total optimization, reversal of their symptoms through both of our approaches. So there is no one size fits all folks. You have to listen and discern for yourself what's gonna work for you. I made Hormone Fixer for you to get more of that GSD hormone. You want adequate levels of testosterone in order to have motivation, in order to burn fat, in order to build sexy lean muscle that is not only going to make you better at burning fat every single day, it's also going to protect you. It's going to protect you as you age. It's going to protect your bones. You want sexy lean muscle in order to have a metabolism. So get some hormone fixer. Start taking it and just enjoy the benefits. What we have been hearing from the community of people taking it, improved energy, improved strength. They're seeing their muscles pop out and look amazing when they're working out. They're getting that pump. They're having a libido. They actually want to have sex again. You cannot go wrong with Hormone Fixer. It increases your growth hormone. It increases your testosterone, the cysts quadrangulus, and it helps your bones. The Toncatelli helps keep your sex hormone binding globulin low, which we want that as well. So it's not bound up to our thyroid hormones and testosterone. Try the Hormone Fixer. Trust me, it's going to change your world. Dr. Eric, I've been so excited to have you on. I know we've gone back and forth, you know, trying to plan this out. I was on your podcast, you're finally on. We walk in the same space, we live in the same world, but we see things a little bit differently on, on something. So I wanna talk about what we see the same, what we see differently, and I wanna get your take on taking care of thyroid patients. So just thank you for coming on and sharing your time today. Sure, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you talk a ton. You have a podcast, a Thyroid Answers Podcast. You wrote a book. You talk a ton about the cell danger response. So I want to start there to really get the audience to understand what you're talking about when you say the cell danger response in its relationship to the thyroid and thyroid function.
1: Yeah. So when we think about cellular health, one of the things that we, I think people just assume is that we, our physiology works the same, whether we're in a low stress state or a high stress state. And the reality is, is that given the situation that we're exposed to, our body adapts. And so for most of us, when we're in a low stress state and our cells are in a low stress state. The primary mode is manufacturing. So the, the whole idea is I want to bring food in. I want to convert food energy to cell energy. And then at the cell level, I want to make stuff. I want to make amino acids into peptides, peptides into proteins. I want to make hormones. I want to make skin. I want to make hair. I want to burn fat. I want You know, all the things are going to make me feel and function good. And P3, which is the active thyroid hormone, is the big driver of that physiology. Pills operate just like we do from a different perspective. And that is, if there's excessive stress, if there's danger, then as the person, I'm not going to sit down and eat a meal if somebody's tacking, you know, coming after me with a knife, I'm going to get up and I'm going to defend myself. I'm not going to try and have sex. I'm not going to take a nap. I'm not going to go do wash. You know, I'm going to defend myself. And that's the number one priority. The cells behave in a similar fashion. If the cells perceive stress, they perceive danger, they shift their physiology away from manufacturing and towards cell defense, release inflammatory chemicals, stiffen cell membranes, Slow down the manufacturing process. And again, the big dimmer which that helps regulate that danger physiology is the amount of T3 inside the cell. So cells actively downregulate the conversion of T4 to T3 when they're in that cell stress state. And some people might assume it's broken physiology and therefore I need to give more T3 to get those levels normal. Uh, That's one way to look at it. The other way could be that it's probably more of of an adaptive response to that perceived danger. And what we, unfortunately, we may not feel and function good, but that is an adaptive response to a threat. And so when I'm looking at and talking about thyroid physiology and I see somebody who had, still has hypothyroid signs and symptoms, despite being having their T4 restored or their T3 restored, you'd have to ask the question, is what I was seeing just broken physiology and I just needed to give them more? Or was what I saw, the reduced, the lower T4, the reduced conversion of T3, the upregulation of reverse T3, was that all part of the adaptive response? And that wasn't broken physiology. That's exactly what the body should do. And potentially adding more thyroid hormone to a system that doesn't want it or need it is potentially problematic.
0: Okay. So where do you find that balance then? So I want to get into the testing that you do on your patients. Mm -hmm. Where do you find that balance? Let's say somebody is, and I know you're not anti-medication, but somebody is tanked out on T3, right? They're coming in, their free T3 is a two. And we'll even save the reverse T3 talk because we'll get there. But what do you do? Do you incorporate in, yes, the medication piece is important. Let's build that T3 up. Or do you go right to all the other factors and, and the cells and how they're functioning?
1: Well, I think the first thing we need to do is consider everything in in context, right? So if we look at a thyroid panel and somebody, let's pick the first person is a person who's not diagnosed with a thyroid condition and on medication, but has signs and symptoms of hypothyroidism. They have a relatively lab normal PSH, relatively lab normal t 4 free 3T4, but their T3 levels are we would say functionally low, less than three, right? Let's say they're in that three to two range and they have hypothyroid signs and symptoms. Do I think, would I give them T3 in that situation? Well, if T4 is optimal and T3, T4 is optimal, Mm -hmm. but total T3 and free T3 are low, then I would probably not be giving them T3 or recommending they get T3. Now I would want to look at another marker and that is, I would look at the reverse T3. Right. If their T4 is normal, their T3 is low, their free T3 is low and their reverse T3 is low, this is a person who probably, despite what T4 and free T4 look like, and now that would make a difference to where they are in the range, this is the person who's probably not making sufficient thyroid hormone overall. Okay. Because they, okay. if they, they don't have enough T4 to convert to T3, but they also don't have enough to convert to reverse T3. So where is it going? Right. So in that situation, I would say, no, I wouldn't give them T3. I would figure out, we'll look at the rest of the labs and say, okay, what the heck is going on here? Do I have inflammatory mechanisms? There's things that are causing reduction here. But no, I probably wouldn't jump to that. If I thought they needed some T4, then maybe I would recommend that. But I wouldn't jump to T3 because I don't look at the, Low T3 in that situation as broken physiology. I would just say, hey, they need they don't have enough T4 to even make reverse T3, so there's a there's an issue here. Now, where would their T4 be? Their T4 probably wouldn't be 11. That T4 in that situation would be maybe four and a half, five. It's going to be at the low end of the reference range typically when we're looking at T4. If it was a person who was T4 is normal. PSH is still within a normal range or or towards the lower end of the reference range. Revert T3 is high. T3 is low. Would I recommend they get T3? No. We have enough T4 to convert to T3. The issue is why would they not? Then I'm going to be looking at what do I need to do to address and improve the conversion. Keep in mind, and for the listener, this is my take. Amy probably has a different take on this. But if we're talking about what... Causes problems. What creates the the hypothyroid symptoms? Deiodinase three. You're going to blame anything. You blame deiodinase three. That's the deactivating enzyme. So I'm a cell. I get to determine what happens. I'm a liver. I I'm stressed. I'm irritated. You just drank all this booze. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm toxic. And so I'm saying I'm not converting T4 to T3. Or I'm a muscle tissue. I'm saying I don't want to convert T4 to T3. Therefore. I've got high reverse T3, low T3. Mm-hmm. And you could say, well, that's why I would give T3 because it's low and they're increasing the deactivation, reverse T3 is blocking function. Reverse right. T3 isn't really technically blocking function. Deionase 3 is blocking function, which is an inflammatory mechanism. But if you give T3, could you change the blood values a bit? Sure. Could you influence the cell values a bit? Sure. But I still have an active deiodinase-3 enzyme that's deactivating thyroid hormone. So it's still going to metabolize T3 because deiodinase-3 still metabolizes T3 to T2. So if it's a cell that is trying to downregulate its metabolism, my thought process, why would you want to increase the metabolism against the, the drive of what the cell would be doing naturally?
0: Okay, so are you working on then the factors that would drive up D3 or drive up reverse T3? And then what are those factors that you're looking at? Oh, well,
1: that's always what we do. I don't spend much time trying to manipulate lab values of thyroid hormone. I'm usually not trying to normalize blood volume. If somebody needs thyroid hormone, we want to make sure that they have enough thyroid hormone in the system to be able to support basic physiology. Mm -hmm but I'm not trying to use experiments to try and get the blood value to find a perfect dose because I don't think that's that's not what my role is. My role is to figure out why the cells and tissues are behaving the way they are. And when you address the root issues, the body does make sufficient T4. It can convert T4 to T3. Reverse T3 goes down, T3 conver- conversion goes up, and I haven't directly manipulated it anyway. So I'm, ad- I'm addressing what's going on. Now, one of the big challenges is somebody could make the argument that why not give more T3? There's a huge benefit to doing that. But what the literature shows is there's a potential reason that it's beneficial for the cell to downregulate mitochondrial function in a stress state. We make a certain amount of antioxidants in a cell that support the normal free radicals that are generated as making cellular energy. When there's a cell stress response, there's a natural process of stiffening cell membranes and reducing oxygen transport into the tissue, which then down-regulates the amount of oxygen so I have less oxygen in the system. If I had a mitochondria running at full tilt and I have a stress response going on, let's say I have an organism that's creating a threat, I've got less oxygen coming into the tissue, I've got more free radicals being generated from the defense response. And if I'm, I am have my normal oxidative stress coming from the mitochondria generating its exhaust, I quickly can exceed the antioxidant capacity of the cell and create more cell damage and more cell destruction. So there's some argument as to why the cell adaptively downregulates thyroid physiology and mitochondrial function under a cell stress response. So... I think that's the second part of the question you were asking was, what causes?
0: Right, right. Like, are you looking at the high insulin? Are you looking at high cortisol, ferritin levels? What what are you looking for?
1: Well, what am I looking for as the assessment? Or what am I looking for as the cause of the cell stress response? Because I don't believe the insulin is the cause of the cell stress response. I think the insulin resistance is the effect of the cell stress response. And if you want to talk about that, we can definitely get into that before the other parts.
0: Like what, yeah, what causes that cell stress response first? And then what markers are you looking at? So
1: from what creates an excessive cell stress response, that's all the things that we should be talking about in functional medicine anyway, when it comes down to foundation. So organisms and toxins can drive it, right? Thought, trauma, physical stress and strain, hypoxia, disrupted sleep patterns, dysbiosis, loss of tolerance to crappy foods, like lots of things can do it. A lot of it has to do with diet and lifestyle that's gonna trigger the issues. But the big things you think about is organisms, toxins, emotional stuff and trauma is huge. We don't put enough consideration in there. And I would tell you sleep and breathing disruptions are the two next biggies. As a person with deviated septum after multiple busted noses or breathing, it's a just that, if you have hypothyroidism and you don't know what to, and you're not getting well, and you breathe improperly, that will create hypoxia. That hypoxia is going to actively downregulate the conversion of T4 to T3. You're going to have an upregulation of deionase 3. You're going to slow your mitochondria down. You're gaining weight just because you breathe wrong. I mean, wow. that simple.
0: It's that powerful, seriously.
1: Absolutely. Wow. And so it is when we think about the things, it's sexy to talk about EBV is the cause of Hashimoto's. You, this is the cause of that. It's, it's whatever the H. pylori. It's never ever really one thing. It's a combination. I always talk about the load, not the thing. I just got off a call with somebody who said, we're talking about mold. And she's like, I wonder mold is my, that's the, it's the thing. I'm like, no, it's not the thing because everybody's exposed to mold. But yeah, could it be a thing? Yes. But you have to address everything, and it's not like you take one thing away and your health comes back on. It's like jacking up a house. You don't jack up one corner of the house and raise the whole thing, and then do the other corner all to its max capacity. You do you jack it up a little bit in each corner, and as you do that, the house goes up nice and even. You don't create any distress on the home. But if you if you wanted to raise it ten feet, you jacked one corner up ten feet, you're going to create a bunch of problems, right? So the same thing with our physiology. We got to reduce and remove what those threats are and then support the recovery. And it's usually not a thing but the load. So I'm looking at, their health. when I'm looking at somebody, I'm looking at their diet. I'm looking at their caloric intake, which is another huge problem. Looking at their macro content. We're looking at their habits, their behaviors, their signs, their symptoms, their labs, their lifestyle, their thought process, their behaviors. Those are the things when we're looking for what to address and help them get better. We got to look at all of those things. In my book, I call it fitness factors. Those are the things. Just talked to the practitioner earlier today and they're like, hey, there's there's no protocols in your book for what supplements to take. Right, because I don't have protocols. There is no protocol. Everybody's an individual. I don't know what your issue is. I don't know what dose of L-glutamine you're going to need. I have no idea because I'm not treating you. And so we have to consider those are the things. Technically, those are the sexy things to address. They just don't get enough plug and play. But those are the things that are contributing to excessive stress response that then creates thyroiditis that creates a cellular hypothyroidism that eventually becomes a glandular dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And the problem is we see the glandular dysfunction and we see the poor conversion and we want to fix those things, but we're missing the real the true cause. The true cause of somebody's chronic signs and symptoms isn't their lack of T4 or T3 in the bloodstream as a general rule. That's the effect. Cause is what's what's going on in their health, their health, their diet, their lifestyle, their nutrition, their habits, their behaviors, all of those things are the things that are probably contributing to what caused the whole issue to begin with.
0: And yeah, I mean, this is, again, this is where I totally agree with you because I see this a lot as well. Oh, it's the mold, it's the heavy metals. And I heard you say on on Karen Martel's podcast too, and I love this, that we're all exposed to mold. We're all exposed to heavy metals. It's how your body responds to it. And and I think too many people latch onto, like you're saying, that one thing that if they eradicate the mold and the mycotoxins out of their body, all will be well. And it's not as simple as that. And I love that you're saying that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And for for somebody who's listening, like, yeah, you may have been exposed to mold. That may have triggered an immune response. But during the time that that occurred, you wound up getting some dysbiosis and because of something else you developed leaky gut. Now I got out of the moldy environment. I, re- I, I remediated the mold, but I still have these other issues. I thought mold was my problem. Mold may have been a trigger for your problem, but the mold is gone. But in the time that you were had that exposure, you had disrupted sleep. You, you had changed your diet. You had some dysbiosis. You developed a leaky gut. You had chronic inflammation. Like it's not over when the other thing is. We still have to look at everything else and bring everything up. Does that make sense? Totally. I think sometimes we think if I just if I just get rid of the thing that created the problem, and we see that with people with like family trauma, right? And that hey, I moved, I broke up with my. That was the stressor that created the problem. We got divorced. I got Hashimoto's by the way, three months after the divorce. And but he's out of my life now. I'm past it. But I still can't get better. Well, yeah, that stress triggered a whole cascade of changes in your physiology. You went into adaptive physiology and you probably are still in adaptive physiology, even though the spouse is gone. You still yeah. now have to address with what is present and what's kind of left over. And if you don't address that, you're still going to have health issues because more problems will accumulate.
0: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie that into a story and and circle it back to what you said about insulin as well, being... a almost like another factor of what happens too. And I've heard you even state that, that insulin resistance, or like you say, glucose resistance means that you have a thyroid that's not working. So the story based on what you just said, I do have a patient right now that all things are beautiful in her labs, right? We, we get these people that like you say, play whack-a-mole with their labs, but all things are beautiful, right? Everything looks good on paper and she's taking care of herself and doing all the things. And she's basically a diabetic. Her A1c went to a 5.7. But now what we're uncovering, what she's even uncovering for herself is stress and trauma, driving her body into just a, a chaotic state, driving up her glucose and all the things. So now when she buckles down and works on that component, everything might come together and start working beautifully. Okay. I am hearing you. I am hearing your frustration and I was in your shoes, so I totally get it. You are tired of the doctor jumping. You are tired of being medically gaslit. You are sick of being told that you're normal when you know that your body is rebelling against you. You know that the weight gain and the fatigue and the hair loss and the low libido and the dry skin is not you. That's not how you were years ago. That's not how your body was meant to be. And that's not how you want to live the rest of your life. So I'm going to invite you to work with me and my team. We can prescribe in all 50 states, including many provinces in Canada. So we got you covered there in the thyroid and the hormone department. We have you covered. Yes, we use bioidentical hormones only. None of that synthetic garbage And we fix you. We bring you to that optimized state where you can live with me in optimization land, where you have actual energy to get through your day. I swear you're not going to be looking at the couch at 2 p.m. wondering how quick you can take a nap. You will lose weight. You won't gain weight every time you go out to eat or look sideways at a brownie. We will get you to that optimized state. So I'm going to invite you to book an application call and this is where you are going to go over everything, your health journey and all the different things you've tried and your frustrations. You're going to go over that with my team and we will put you into the program that fits you the best. If you need prescriptions, we have you covered. So go ahead and click the book a call link in the show notes I promise we will take good care of you. You can stop the doctor jumping once and for all. Stop wasting money on BS programs. Stop buying programs off of Instagram. People, I know you. I see you. (laughs) I know what you're doing. Looking for answers. We can fix you. So based off of that story, and I wanted to kind of piggyback off your trauma comment, Let's go into the insulin piece because I'm I'm literally seeing someone become a diabetic on a low carb diet when all of her thyroid and hormones look beautiful, but it's based on trauma and stress and what her body is doing at a cell level.
1: Yeah, so I would I guess my argument there would be maybe her her T4 and T3 have been optimized into a range that looks good, but it's not working at the tissue level appropriately. One of the best tests that we can look at from a thyroid panel, but it becomes compromised when you add T3 to somebody's medication regime is the free T3 to free T4 ratio. When you look at the free T3 to free T4 ratio, that kind of gives us a good idea of how well they're converting T4 to T3. Now, it really doesn't matter where they're getting the T4 from, whether it's coming from the gland or it's coming from a medication, but T3 skews the pot because what you're looking at is how well T4 is converting to T3. If you see somebody, if I look at somebody's labs and they look good, but I look at the free T3 to free T4 ratio and it is less than 0.31, then I'm going to consider this is a person he's who's has some type of cell stress response on, or they are on too much thyroid medication. And I'll make that decision based on looking at the rest of the panel in the labs. If they are, if that free T3 to free T4 ratio is greater than 0.34, then this is a person who star whose cells are starving for thyroid hormone. Now Somebody might say, Well, I'm taking a T3, why can't I do the value? Because you're trying to see how well your cells and tissues are converting T4 to T3. So if you are taking T3, you're not measuring what your cells are converting, you're measuring what you're taking. Okay. So I love that. The other thing that becomes important when you think, when we're assessing thyroid physiology, is to look at the rest of the labs. I never run a thyroid panel on its own. Because you can manipulate thyroid blood values into range or they could look normal, but you could still have tissue hypothyroidism, which I think happens long before anybody has a glandular condition going on. I think we develop tissue hypothyroidism first Mm -hmm. in most cases. So you look for, and I talk about the patterns of hypothyroidism and glucose resistance, and I hate the term insulin resistance because I think insulin gets a bad rap. We have four hormones that are designed to raise glucose. That's how important glucose in the bloodstream is. We only have one hormone to lower it, that's insulin. So insulin gets beat up like, oh, we're resistant to insulin. Insulin's trying to do its job. It's not doing the problem. So when we're looking at people who are diabetic and we're saying, oh, they're insulin resistant and we need to get their glucose under control or their insulin under control, we have to take pause and say, wait a second, that may be realistic if they're on a high-carb, crashy diet. But if it's a person who's already on a lower calorie diet, they're eating a whole food-based diet, carbohydrate levels aren't high, they're in the range, like maybe a 40-30-30 ratio, protein, carbs, and fats, we may look at that and say, okay, this person isn't overcarbing that they have that much glucose. So where is the glucose coming from? Why is it staying in the bloodstream? Why are they pre-diabetic or diabetic? And then we want to look, is it is their glucose high because they have high insulin or their glucose high because they have low insulin? They can't get it in there. We need to make that decision. But in most cases, it's high glucose, higher insulin. And you'd say, okay, I got to get that under control. Well, the number one thing to to consider is a carbohydrate intake piece and lack of activity piece. But the second thing is, if if somebody is glucose resistant, that's a, a good indication. They don't have enough T3 inside the cells to drive glucose utilization. Now, you might say, well, that's why I want to give them T3 because I want to force more in. I would just say that's a good indication they're in a cell stress response and the cells are adaptively down-regulating the transport of glucose into the cell. So if you have an organism inside the cell or, or, some, toxi- or some, some threat inside the cell, I don't want to bring more glucose in. I don't want to bring more oxygen in. I don't want to bring more nutrients in that are going to support the threat. What the cell danger physiology talks about is there's a stiffening of the cell membrane and reduced transport of things across the membrane. Why? Surround what's in there and find it and kill it and prevent it from getting out or more stuff from getting in. So anytime there's a cell stress response, we have down regulation of the glucose transporters, how glucose gets into the cells. All of those glucose transporters are regulated by, yes, your good friend, D3. Now, they don't all have the same function level. Not They don't all work at this. Glucose 4 is the insulin-dependent receptor. That That's the most important one everybody talks about because that's the one that insulin uses to get glucose into the cell. It's mm-hmm. T3-dependent. So if I have reduced T3 in the cell, insulin isn't going to work as well. I can't get as much glucose into the cell. So that's one. Two, what about... Why is somebody's fasting glucose elevated? They haven't eaten anything. Why would their fasting glucose be elevated? Why would their insulin be elevated? Isn't insulin released when we eat? Well, yeah, it is. But if I can't get glucose into the cell, then there's a continual release of insulin to try and get glucose out of the cell because glucose is like sticky stuff. It's like cotton candy. It gets all over everything and it's sticky. So there are other glucose transporters that we can... Used to get glucose out of the bloodstream into the cells in a fasted state, but those are also T3 dependent. And there is one glucose transporter, glucose 2, that holds out the longest and can work in the lowest T3 state, and that's glucose transporter 2. And what's its role? Its role is to take glucose that's being generated at the liver under times of stress and pump it out into the bloodstream. And to pump nutrients into fat cells. So that makes a ton of sense. If I need glucose for fight or flight stuff, I can generate it from the glucose from the liver in times of emergency. And if I got extra glucose, I want that gluten transporter to hang in there so I can get that glucose into the fat cells and into storage. So I look at any time there's a glucose resistance going on, I consider the fact, what's my patient eating? What's going on? And what is and that there's a, a, a tissue hypothyroid state? The other thing that's going on, and I think what you were talking about is if I'm in a stress response, we can make energy two different ways. One is the mitoc- through the mitochondria, which is the most really the most efficient way to make lots of energy, right? One glucose molecule, thirty six ATP, but that's a process that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of oxygen, it takes a lot of work, a lot of manufacturing goes on to do that. And if I need glucose quickly and easily, but I'm not going to do it aerobically. I'm going to do it anaerobically. And those systems can be upregulated pretty easy under stress to drive lots of glucose production. And that's our epinephrine, our cortisol. And then that's how we can drive glucose levels up. But remember, if I have a cell stress response on, I could drive glucose levels up, but I can't, remember, I can't make a lot of energy from it. So that system's always running. Glucose has a tendency to stay a little bit higher. So that stress response, get down regulation of the mitochondria for, for a couple reasons, but the down regulation of the stress response means I can't get as much energy from the glucose and I'm going to need to generate more glucose and keep it, get it into the bloodstream so it can get to the cells and tissues, but we're going to see this general resistance over time. And part of that is a good indication of reduced cellular E3. So
0: now what will you do with someone because we know that people want to feel better quickly, right? And, mm-hmm. and and people that have hypothyroidism and they've had it for a long time, maybe they haven't been diagnosed. I mean, they've been suffering with these symptoms forever. So, what do your clients and patients say when you're like, okay, we're gonna work on this slowly. We're not gonna give you the the T3. We're not gonna give you T4, T3. We're just gonna work on down-regulating that cell danger response, and then eventually your cells will will take up the T3, the T4 is converting. Even if you have a high reverse T3, we're going to work on that. That can take a while. So don't you get patients that are like, oh man, like, I don't know. I I mean, I get people that are like, I am going to die in the next month, literally. Like I'm on my last leg. How do you get people to wait out that time that it's going to take to really rebuild their body and calm down that cell danger response?
1: Honestly, I don't I don't have really much in the way of pushback. So okay. um, <laughs> most of my clients, you know, I tell them this is what's going on, this is what we need to do. A lot of them have already been on they've tried everything, P4, p 4 T3, T3 only. They've tried everything and it hasn't it's had its short-term honeymoon period, and then it's not worked and it's led to the higher doses of medication. So our client populations may be a little bit different. I don't really have that big struggle with getting people, A, to see some more significant changes sooner and to kind of go with what, what I'm trying to get them to do. I just don't see that big of a, uh, of a challenge. I think for a lot of people that come to see me, they're way over-medicated. And one of the things that is an immediate make them feel better is getting them off the we're getting them to reduce the the doses of medication that they're on. What happens a lot is somebody doesn't feel good. They get a little bit of thyroid hormone support. They feel a little bit better. It Plateaus. They get it more. They feel a little bit better, and then it plateaus. And then so they're kind of. I think we talked about it on my podcast that they they it's like you know they become an addict, and yeah. especially and they're on higher and higher doses, and they don't realize that part of the problem now is this high dose of thyroid hormone replacement is to some degree it may provide some some benefit but it's also part of the issue so just for a lot of the clients that i see cuz they've already a lot of them have already done lots of different forms of medication just getting them to get to a more reasonable level of thyroid hormone replacement creates massive improvements in how they feel and function the patients with that anxiety and insomnia that are on just too much medication and you know, you reduce that thyroid dose and they they're like, I could sleep again. Right. And now because you can sleep again, you have more energy. And because you have more energy, you feel less depressed and you feel less anxious. And so it, it becomes a positive cycle versus a vicious cycle. People are coming to work with me, they understand that my I, I, I don't I don't do the since I'm not trying to manipulate the lab values. If that's what they're looking for, there's somebody else that'll do that. If they're looking to address root issues and try and get that thyroid physiology and the thyroid gland to do what its job really is, I don't think it's broken. I think the thyroid physiology is adapting to excessive stress. So I think anything we do potentially to interfere with that is potentially problematic. That doesn't mean that's always the case. And you can make arguments from your side, like, hey, I, I'm, I, I am... to manipulate those values and my clients see benefit i don't really care what somebody does what dose of medication they're on if somebody was on 600 micrograms of t3 and they said i feel awesome and my labs look good i don't care that's awesome that's great i don't really i don't i i don't have i don't care what medication what it is but if somebody doesn't feel well and they're on a bunch of thyroid medication, it's yeah. not the right strategy. And so something has to change. And I have the same philosophy regarding supplementation. I don't like people taking a lot of supplements. Yeah, And so I, I had the same conversation with my patients when they're coming to see me, Like, look, I know you're taking 24 supplements a day, not 24 <laughs> capsules, 24 <laughs> bottles of supplements. And if you need 24 bottles of supplements plus LDN plus T4 plus T3 to feel this shitty, then you don't need any of them. So let's simplify this. Let's get back to the basics of who, who you are. Let's find out what's really going on here and what we really need. And that doesn't mean that somebody the supplement you're taking doesn't give somebody value. It can. It can make you feel better. Drugs do that. There's lots of things alcohol makes you feel better when you drink it for at least for a while right is that the solution to address the cause no it's not but usually when I'm working with somebody I'm, they've already been through all of that band-aid approach I'm sure I get new clients to the process but a lot of the clients I get are the people that have already been and done those things and say all right what do I do here you know we're gonna we're gonna start getting getting this stuff back to basics. Get get rid of a lot of this stuff. Let's get to the foundational things to do. And you know, I always say it's not sexy to do those foundational things, but maybe it is the sexiest thing you can do, which is better diet, better lifestyle, better habits, better behavior. I mean, what could be more sexy than that?
0: Yeah. No, I mean there there is something sexy about it. And you know, I'm glad you said that. That at at the end of the day, our job is to get people feeling better, whatever that looks like. And that's why I wanted to bring you on because there's different approaches to this and And by no means am I saying that my approach is the only way or this guy's approach is the only way. I I mean, I think we can both agree that the allopathic model of just tossing people on T4 and keeping throwing more T4 at them is not beneficial. And we normally don't see anyone get optimized that way. But I, I like giving people a different Angle and giving people your angle because at the end of the day we want people to feel better no matter what that looks like however that looks
1: yeah and I, I and I think it's we have to be fair to some degree to the allopathic profession I mean they're following guidelines right they're doing what they've been told right they're told okay. that hey a, thy- a thyroid gland can't recover it's an immune system it's it's destroying your gland anyway my job as if I'm the allopathic physician. Based on my guidelines, here's my guidelines is to wait until your TSH is lab high and then I give you enough T4 to bring that TSH back into reference range. I'm done. And they've yeah. that's what the guidelines are. That's so what They learned,
0: that's it.
1: I got frustrated I got frustrated too, but as you get older you also get maybe a little softer and a little wiser and say, you know what some of these are great people. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They just don't know what they don't know. And so because we're sitting on the other side of it, we're going, wait a sec, that something that happens to that T4. Is it is what is supposed to happen to that four converting the T3 happening? And is it impacting the tissues the way we want it to, like a homeostatic type style? And if it's not, then that is our job. And so if we say, okay, that's their job, their job is to try and keep you alive, take care of the emergency situation but they don't have the the skill set or the knowledge to address the things that we can, then instead of burning the bridge in between the two professions, we build the bridge and say, hey, you take care of that, make sure they're out of crisis, and then we'll do the things that we need to do to get them back to health. Yeah, and I think that. that's, we need to build the bridge. I was a bridge, bridge burner because I was ang- really angry early on, but now I'm like, why not help educate? I just had on one of my patient consultations, this is a, I think this is the first time it's actually happened that the primary care physician was on the same call. All three of us are on Zoom. The primary care physician is saying, why would you want to change the dose? Why would you think that? Why would you think that? And as I just went, interpreted the lab work the way I do it for her, she was like, oh my gosh. All right. I get it. Now I get it. Okay. Okay. All right. What do we get? All right. All right. What do we want to do? All right. What do we need to do? Like, because all of a sudden she saw things she didn't know. She didn't know what she didn't know. And now when she sees the bigger picture, like I laid out all those tissue hypothyroid patterns and explained the, the physiology to her. Here, let me explain to you why she's glucose resistant. Do you know what her caloric intake is? I do. Here's what her caloric is. Here's what her macros are. So it's not because she's got too much glucose because she doesn't have enough T3 inside the cell. You want to know, she doesn't need a statin. You know what she needs? The reason she's got high cholesterol is because she doesn't have enough T3 to use for the transporters to dock cholesterol off to the liver and to the adrenal gland. And no, she doesn't have adrenal fatigue. She doesn't have enough cholesterol in the adrenal gland to make into her progesterone or cortisol and her DHEA. So if we can get her from not being over-medicated with T4, then we, we turn deiodinase 2 back on. And with less T4 medication, even though her TSH is going to go up a bit, She's going to have better T4 to T3 conversion. That's going to help the cellular function while I start addressing all these lifestyle issues, and then she can start to get better. And that's when she. Would, that's when that physician goes, I, okay, I'm in. I get it. That, that'll be worth gold for her patients in the future because she will now look at her, every blood chemistry panel probably a little bit differently.
0: Well, absolutely. I mean, that's what I respect are the ones that are open-minded enough to learn something else and not to stay in their standard of care dogma, recognizing that maybe once you walk out of med school, there might be more things that you have to learn and more things that you have to implement and that that isn't the be-all, end-all, holy grail of medicine. So 100%. And I I have patients like that too, that they happen to have this really open-minded, wanting to soak up the information, wanting to learn doctor and that's fantastic. I mean that just makes our job easier. So I love and it. And to be
1: fair, most of the people that are coming to see us, they're their primary care's worst nightmare. Because or their endocrinologist's worst nightmare because they're getting the standard of care and it's substandard for them. So they continue to complain, I'm not getting better, I'm not getting better. That physician's got 15 minutes and they're coming in going, oh, Jesus Christ, it's this person again. Like, what the heck? You, yeah, whatever, whatever you want to run. So if they can get a good functional medicine practitioner who's who can change that patient's health and quality of life, I, I don't really have that big of a problem with primary care physicians or endocrinologists anymore once they actually start to see the, the proof. And they're like, what what is going on here? How what is going on with your values? Uh like what's changing? Oh, I'm working with this person. Oh, okay. What else? Do we need to do anything? Do they need it? What, what can we run for you? Like it because they're happy too. They don't have the same person coming in and complaining and complaining and complaining and giving them a hard time. So I, I think it can be a win-win if we do it the right way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that you touched on that because we talked so much about. About standard of care and medicine, on it, it, I mean, in this whole community. So you're right; there has to be that balance. Now, one thing, uh, uh, Dr. Eric, I want to circle back. I wrote this down to ask you about, and you mentioned it earlier. I want to come back to the hypoxia and and the breathing. And I've started mouth taping at night just to breathe through my nose, like you. I have a deviated septum as well, but through the mouth breathing, it seems like I can get through the night without ripping it off and needing to breathe through my mouth. Can you expand on that? Because I find that very interesting that that can really exacerbate a hypothyroid problem.
1: Yeah, so when we when we mouth breathe, we blow off too much carbon dioxide. And we think about the what. why is that important? Because you think about it, usually oxygen and carbon dioxide are kind of yin and yang, right? So if I have less carbon dioxide, isn't that good? Because I have more oxygen. So when you breathe out, your blood cells release carbon dioxide to go out and then it picks up oxygen in the lungs. And now the red blood cell carries oxygen around the body like an Uber driver. And when it gets to a tissue that needs oxygen, it can release the oxygen to the tissues, to the cells, and then the oxygen can go into the cell and do its job. But the red blood cells love oxygen. They don't want to give it up. This is like your your seventh grade girlfriend in my situation. Like you like, this is like your dream girl. You're not giving it up, right? But if all of a sudden you see that red blood cell, there's a lot of carbon dioxide, you start to go, Oh, all right, maybe not so bad. I'll give up the oxygen and I'll take a bunch of carbon dioxide. So, for your red blood cells to give up oxygen to your cells and tissues, you have to have enough carbon dioxide in the bloodstream. So, when your mouth when you're mouth breathing at night you're blowing off way too much carbon dioxide. You're intaking too lots of oxygen. If you check your oxygen saturation you might be 99%. I don't think people should be 99% because I don't think it shows good transport. But if I'm not getting the oxygen off the red blood cell, then that oxygen can't get to the cell. If the cell can't get to the into the if the oxygen can't get into the cell, now the cell has less oxygen. For your mitochondria to work appropriately, mitochondria, are these little engines that are inside the cells that are taking food energy and converting it into cellular energy. We talked about seventh grade science class. We learned about Krebs cycle and the electron transport chain, but we take glucose, run it through this complex system, and we get all this cell energy at the other end, and that needs oxygen. So if I don't bring oxygen into the cell... Then I can't make enough energy. That can trigger a danger response and it triggers the release of a chemical hypoxia inducible factor one alpha. And that activates an enzyme called dehydinase three that then down regulates the conversion of T4 to T3. That shuts down mitochondrial function. It's not an on or off switch, it down regulates it. So now the mitochondria technically becomes more efficient at running but I, can, I can't put as much stuff through it. So now I have less T3, activated T3. I make less cellular energy. And now I can start to have my slower metabolism. Now there's another way to get low have problems with carbon dioxide too, and that's acidosis in the body. And so when there's a lot of acidosis in the body, and especially when there's problems in the GI tract, the body can pull carbon dioxide out of the bloodstream to buffer the acidity, and that, that will create the same issue. But for sleep, that's a huge issue. We're designed to breathe through our nose. That causes, when you breathe through your nose, you release a whole bunch of nitric oxide. It causes vasodilation, opens everything up, so you can get lots of blood flow and lots of circulation. The problem is if you have immune inflammatory processes going on, there's a tendency for your soft tissues to swell, especially at night. If you didn't have a problem, you probably wouldn't notice the difference. But then that swelling plus... If you, have, you also have a nasal cycle that goes on at night where one, you're flushing both nasal passages back and forth, that results in decreased air. Somebody like you or me who has got a deviated septum. If you've got inflammation and a deviated septum and you have the nasal process going on at night, you can't get appropriate oxygen and your brain is going to say, well, I'm getting stuffy. I'm getting congested. I'll just open my mouth to breathe. I can still breathe, but now I'm creating a problem.
0: So what do you do? What do you do at night? Do you mouth tape? What do you do?
1: Yeah. So nose tape, mouth tape, those are the things I should get at my deviated septum fixed, but uh, I'm a chicken. So you know, it, when I do those things, that works fine. But for the listener who's going, I don't think that's really an issue. If you snore, you've got your mouth breathing, probably. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you are, if you have cavities or gum disease, you're probably mouth breathing. When you mouth breathe, you change your oral biome, you dry out your gums, your gums recede. Simple strategies for the vast majority of us is figure out what's triggering excess inflammation in the system, nose tape, mouth tape, work on breath work outside you know, aside from sleep because a lot of people say, like, I'll just tape my mouth shut, my nose, and that's good. But you also have to have good breathing habits rest of the day too. So work on breath work. That's not sexy either, but work on breath work uh, there's lots of gurus out there if you need one to find, but I mean, they've been doing this in in yoga and in the mountains of you know some of these countries for you know thousands and thousands of years. Is I think there's an old Hindu proverb that says the man that breathes the least is the most healthy or something along those lines, right? Okay. And so the when you think about respiratory rate, the average person breathes way too much through the day. It's considered we think about the normal person breathes like 18 breaths per minute is considered 18 to 25 16 to 25 I think it's or 14 to 25 is considered normal respiratory rate when optimal respiratory rate is probably 6 to 10 yeah and for for the listener if you think about it if you took two people and they both walked up a flight of steps the one who's breathing the heaviest is the least healthy as they go up if you and I walked up a flight of steps and I'm doing that mm-hmm. I, I, and you're like what's up what's going on definitely healthier i could look better i could have bigger muscles i could look stronger I, but if 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 my respiratory system is that taxed and stressed i don't have good oxygen transfer in my system and so that's a it's a classic sign of poor health and you can usually see the person who's overweight struggling with chronic health issues they go up a you know a little bit of exertion short shallow rapid breaths blowing off too much carbon dioxide i'm lightheaded yeah you can't get oxygen to the tissues
0: And that's going to affect everything, including thyroid function, including all all cell function. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Eric, I know you're short on time. We're short on time. I need to let you go, but this has been great. I love giving the other side. Like I said, I mean, I think everyone has a take on this. And at the end of the day, we want people better. So can you tell listeners where they can find you from your podcast to your book, to your website, everything?
1: Yeah. So podcast is called Thyroid Answers Podcast. It's available like wherever you get it podcast and the book is called the thyroid debacle and a lot of people think it's a thyroid book technically it's not a thyroid book it is through the lens of the cell danger response but it doesn't matter what condition you have you got health issues it's the story of the cell danger response and how it shifts thyroid physiology so it's worth the read i think i'm on instagram maybe on facebook yeah, i do my thyroid thursdays my website is rejuvagencenter.com but I guess the most the the area the place I'm on I guess post most is I guess on Instagram. So that's where people can find me.
0: Cool. Well we'll post your links in the show notes and thank you again for your time and your outlook on this. I greatly appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks, Amy.